It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something with your own head. Beat it up and I've got no people. And a fucking platter with a fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, but it's just a gang from the government for hiring a combat site. Like it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. Oh, yeah. And bloom, oh yeah. <laughs> That's right, in the dark heart of the city, there's a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Yes. And that's us. We are back in the city. We are back in the city, but you know who else is out there? There's somebody called Mr. Bones. Yes, Mr. Bones. We saw. We met him at a... Airport. Airport. Uh, he kiosk, was, I kiosk. guess. He was basically a <laughs> skeleton with a white coat on. But he's a Mr. Bones. He's, yeah, but I, that's funny. I wonder why they didn't call him Dr. Bones. And it's hilarious because it's a skeleton with a a lab coat on. Right. It is hilarious. And I think he even had a stethoscope around right. his neck. And I, I took a picture with Dr. Bones and Mr. And Bones. And Mr. Bones. Well, <laughs> he needs to complete his diploma yes. so that he can be called Dr. He's Bones. He's not as educated or as... Well educated as you are. <laughs> <laughs> Friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a somber scintilla of sense in a senseless world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And a certified nurse, midwife, and, and advanced wilderness and expedition provider. Expedition provider. That's right. A W E P. We got a little certification. I got my patch. You right. got your patch. That's right. So <laughs> we are. We took a course at the National Wilderness Medical Conference. Uh, several days of intensive training. Oh my goodness! And that was so much fun. Now I love we, the hands-on part. And now our next step is to go to the base camp at Mount Everest. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the sweetheart. Rope litters. I'll and, tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> after the two of us die, some some young adventurer out there can take a handful of each of our ashes, mix them together, please, and then you guys can toss them off of Mount Everest. I have no there. problem with. <laughs> Joining, joining nature, but not before a little that. bit, but not before. No, that. I said after. I, I know, clearly yes, said after. after. <laughs> well, together we are the dynamic duo of preparedness. We are the medical matrimony. We are the prodigious pair, and we're here to he- help you keep it together, even if everything else 
falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a mendacious moose, we actually saw one. Oh, we did. Yellowstone, that's right. Well, our attorney says don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but in times of trouble, the need for medical help is doubled. (laughs) That's right. And somebody's got to pick up the flag and be the end of the line when it comes to keeping their people healthy in good times or bad. And that someone might just end up being you. That's right. You, I'm pointing right at you. So (laughs) show the world that you got more sense than a suitcase full of salamanders and get some training and education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? What better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. It'll make your workplace, your school, your church safer and they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. But don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. As a matter of fact, we actually got a church recently that said that they looked at a bunch of different sites. They Yesterday, found I had our, a, a particular kit of ours, right. right, was the absolute best. Well, it was uh, a church that had um, had an evaluation for their uh, medical safety. Uh-huh. And safety also, ministry, right? yes, also the, the safety of the folks in the church. Uh, they were actually down the street. Their location is down the street from... I know I have not told you this, uh-huh. but from the shooting that occurred in Chattanooga, North Carolina, or sorry, Tennessee, North Carolina, <laughs> a little confused there, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, at the recruitment. Oh, yes. Yes, they are, she said, a couple blocks away, just that down scary, the street. Yes. And they were in the church when that happened. She works there uh, every day. A lovely uh, woman named Sherry. Yes, Sherry. She is so sweet, and she said that after they had the evaluation, I guess uh, they hired somebody, a consultant, to come in. They also have, of course, as most churches probably do, uh, doctors and nurses and EMTs, paramedics, and they put together law enforcement, police officers. They put together a team to find the best medical kits because Mm -hmm. they were told they – you know, were deficient in that area. They had some, you know, just little medical kits here and there. And she said that they combed through more than 100 online, what the wow. contents were, I didn't know that. how they were made, mm-hmm. how they were packed, what was in them, uh, the brand names. And, oh, my goodness, they have chosen our medium survival trauma kit. All right. Well, as that's the awesome. best out of all of them, well, I could, I almost fell off my chair when she was in. <laughs> I mean, it, she was just so sweet. Well, we, but she was very adamant about how thorough they were. Uh, 
checking every single website they could find and every content. So I'm very happy. We're going to be packing uh, lots of medium trauma kits for them. Well, church safety is something very, very important to me. I think that people should be able to worship in safety. I think schools should be able to teach in safety. I think that this is something that is very, very important. Nope. And, 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 and matter of fact, mm-hmm. speaking of our testimonials page, that's one that you won't see on our testimonials page. I haven't had that. Uh, we haven't asked them for a testimonial, but uh, I've had a pa- we got to pack the bags first. That's right. Yes, <laughs> we have to show. We have to deliver on our promises. So exactly. That's right. But exactly. I'll tell you one thing that we stand by our kits. We believe they are the best. On top of that, our kits are approved, by the way, for your health or flexible savings account. Just let us know that you need the paperwork. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That is painfully obvious, I think, at this point. So throw us a nugget of your knowledge. Connect with the Queen and the Codger. It's easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. That's D-R-B-O-N-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. At AOL.com, find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Follow, subscribe, like, all the good stuff (laughs) on our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy. That's right, and we'd appreciate it if you retweet some of our articles. We want to get to as many people as possible if you think there's... One of our articles that we've tweeted that is particularly useful, please retweet. We really appreciate it. And also share for Facebook, too. We have two buttons on the new website right next to the little blurb on the front page. If you really like the article, go ahead. You can either do it on the front page or when you go to the article way at the bottom, you can share on a multitude of platforms. You can Pinterest it. You can... Facebook it, you can tweet it, <laughs> you can do a lot of, I think you can even Google Plus it if you'd like. Um, let's spread the word, folks. Exactly. There are a lot of people out there who uh, don't know that there are folks like us who are trying our best to help provide education and information about disaster medical treatments and first aid um, your neighbors might not know we exist, so let's help spread the word. I would, and, we would really appreciate, appreciate it. it, and you know what? It it might help you if your neighbor knows how to do something during a disaster too. So let's let's get everyone educated. Hey, our recent trip to Yellowstone also included the park that's right next to it, the Grand Teton yes. National Park, and how it, beautiful it, it is! Beautiful, probably from what we some of the see. most beautiful mountains <laughs> from what we in can the world. See, right? There's a lot of crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy stuff in Yellowstone that is absolutely beautiful, like nowhere else on Earth. Wow. But if, just from for sheer beauty of the mountains, Grand Teton National Park, hard to hard to actually match that. Now, everybody was wondering when we were there why it was so hazy. Well, sure enough, it was smoke from hundreds of miles away in California. And the funny thing about it is that it's not just there. Evidence of smoke has actually gone as far as New York City. Yes, no way. New Yorkers. Are you serious? It's not just smog. 
at least right now, it's smoke from the coast, but not your coast, the West Coast, that is. How That's in right. the world did it get all the way to New York City? That it's is amazing, yes. Crazy. And if you look at the article that is going to accompany this podcast uh-huh. on the website, I'm going to put up a smoke map, and you'll see that there are little hazy areas in New York City. As a matter of fact, probably South Florida is the only place in the country that doesn't have some smoke issue associated with that. So, That's probably only because we're a peninsula. Right. And we've and got o- ocean yes, breezes right. we're way the going heck across the whole the whole state, at least our part of the state. <laughs> so, the part uh, yeah. point, points out, sticks out into the water. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I That's have been... unbelievable. I'm serious. I'm so shocked. My mouth is open when I'm not talking. <laughs> I have been... Trying not to talk about wildfires. I talked about them actually a couple of months ago. You can't help but it. But I can't help They're but talk everywhere. about it. It is in the news. It is the main thing, and I really have to wow. say something about it. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection announced that a heavy equipment mechanic for the agency was killed. One of several people that so far, people fighting the fire, that have been killed. This one was assigned this gentleman was assigned to the car fire now that the funny thing is is that when i first heard car fire i thought it was a car fire right no i thought some car caught on fire that's not what it is no it's the car c-a-r-r fire i guess no car canyon are you serious so just hearing it yes you don't know i thought thought it was a car fire honestly this is what i imagined i imagine somebody has some car trouble pulled off on the side of the road and we've seen it before. We have we have seen engines burning when we've traveled. Sure. On the side of the road, things Absolutely. just you know maybe. And so it would make sense that if you oil a, was low, right, the engine you, burned up. If you had a car fire in one of these mountain roads, and you and, had pulled off the side of the road, that easily it could catch you know right, a, a tree, in a, which in a dry would, area would sure. move quickly if the conditions were correct. Well, that's not the case. That it's, is not the case. It's a it's a a park or a a development near Redding, California. Well, this sure. is what happens when we spend two weeks not reading newspapers <laughs> and only hearing, only things, hearing things, on things on the radio, on the radio because right. we're driving everywhere <laughs> That's in remote true. areas. <laughs> Our condolences go out to the family of this gentleman, Andrew Jason Brake. He was just one of several firefighters and people that are in the area that have died in the inferno that has been caused by several wildfires in the state of California. And the sad thing is that it is still early in the season. Now, although some of the fires have been caused by lightning, one of the most serious conflagrations in Holy Jim uh, Canyon, I believe, that was caused by a man, a gentleman, one Forrest Gordon Clark, 51, actually arrested for arson on suspicion of starting the fire in that area. And this guy's name is Forrest. Well, so, but can you believe that? I did see a clip of him last night on the news. He is bonkers. That is about the nicest thing I can say about him. He is bat poopy crazy. Is, right. Is, he, he's just absolutely nuts. You saw him. Apparently he approached uh, some firefighters and there happened to be a television crew and they caught a clip of him. And he was holding up some weird money. It didn't look like American money. And saying that the firefighters stole, I think it was $7 trillion, or three, three or $7 trillion from him. And he had this whole crazy conspiracy theory he was spouting. 
Well, they only showed a short clip of it, but you could see the the nuts in his eyes, just the wide eyed, <laughs> crazed oh my look. Gosh, it's terrible. Yeah, no, he he looks he looks like a, um, a Manson. Well, that's he, it, that's the look that you know that face of act- Charles Manson. He actually sent emails to the fire chief saying that this place is gonna burn. He had this. Running feud with neighbors, as you can imagine, if you had the guy like this as your neighbor, you probably have a feud with him too. And at the scene, he actually took off all his clothes while he was being questioned by deputies. Oh no! One news outlet actually said he threatened t- firefighters with a sword while they were trying to put out the flames. And the funny thing is, this guy actually owned one of the fourteen cabins in the general area where he apparently started, or allegedly started, the fire. And to show you there's no justice, his cabin is the only one that survived. No way. That's true. Okay. Well, so, I think they should have a burning. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think they should burn I'm his sorry. House down, right? I'm sorry. Well, First, they need to cancel his insurance policy, make sure that he can't get this back. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it's terrible. Well, he's going to be charged with felony arson, felony threat to terrorize, and misdemeanor res- resisting arrest. And the funny thing is that whatever... Whatever punishment he gets, it's not going to be anywhere near. Never enough. That's right. Thursday afternoon showed flames moving into housing developments north of Lake Elsinore in Southern California with spot fires threatening elementary schools and homes that were in the area and raising plumes of flame 20 feet high. The fire is so widespread that some areas just have no firefighters available to help. And they've been so overwhelmed that reports and updates are few and far between. So the reported number of acres that you hear that have been burned are probably really severe underestimations. On the extremely rugged and hilly terrain in a lot of areas, there's little firefighters can do other than wait for the blaze to come close to the houses at the base of the slope so they can reach them. Honestly, it's almost impossible. They do have uh, helicopters, air tankers. They actually have a 747. We saw the helico- one of the helicopters when we were driving uh, up to Montana. Remember? Yes, there was we a small fire some... in uh, Yellowstone or on, near Yellowstone. Th- we were on the west just edge. I think we were on the drive north. It goes like slightly into Yellowstone for a few miles. Mm. And we saw a hillside fire. Right. And we saw a helicopter fly over. That's right. But yeah. you see this fire. I mean, it's not a giant. It wasn't a giant fire. But it wasn't still too scary. big. I don't you know still how. See flames. I can't imagine how many acres it is. It's hard to judge when it's up on a mountain. You know, like how many acres are actually burning. But then you see this tiny little helicopter, and it looks <laughs> like they 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 drop a thimble full of water, water on this massive fire. And, and this is not a big fire that we saw. And not by so, any means. Not so, so in California, they actually had I mean. two DC-10s, one 747 that dropped wow. water and red-colored uh, fire retardant at the base of the mountain near the structures, the homes, and around uh, a lot of communication towers. There are a lot of communication towers where there isn't anything else. Sure. And they want to save those too. And so they're throwing fire retardant and water around that area to try to protect it. And they work these and these firefighters have the highest respect for these people. They work through the night, put themselves in danger to gain ground against the blaze before uh, before the high winds return. They're supposed to be returning actually uh, today on the day that we're actually recording this. Uh, The firefighters patrol the subdivisions. They they try to figure out how they can keep the residences from burning, and they try to convince stubborn 
residents, by the way, that are still in their homes in spite of the evacuation orders to get out of Dodge. The homeowners are seen wetting their houses down with garden hoses uh, to try to save them. Some stand in driveways, some on top of their roofs to try to prevent oh the, the flames from actually hitting their house. That must there, be so, so scary. There's one guy named Joe Rodriguez, up oh, Joe, of course, and <clears throat> he used a power washer on his patio in the McVicker Canyon Park neighborhood. And he says, until this thing is barking at my door, I'm going to stick with it. Aww. And another one, another resident described 70-foot-tall flames creeping <gasps> within 150 yards of his property. No. And he said, you can hear the fire coming. It really does roar. It does. Have so heard of a roaring fire? Well, wow. it really does roar. Meanwhile, well, you can get a little hint of that if you have a wood-burning fireplace mm-hmm. or if you cook out in a campfire, make a fire outside. But... It, but that roar sound is more like a train, I believe, that, yeah. that it's just so, so loud. It's amazing. And the funny thing is that the fires that we're talking about aren't even the biggest fires that are going on. There's one called the Mendocino Complex Fire, and that's the largest one in California history. It has burned more than uh, 283,000 acres. It's burning about 100 miles north of Sacramento in the northern part of the state. Has burned hundreds of homes, and is now just now they celebrated because it's fifty-one percent contained. Oh my god! Just now, after after weeks of it burning, I'll tell you if if you put the amount of territory that has been burned by the Mendocino Complex fire over a map of Los Angeles or New York New York City, uh-huh. it would just about cover. It would cover Los Angeles and just about cover most of New York City. Amazing! It's been a super busy year for firefighters. That we've had heat waves, we've had drought, so we've a lot of dry plants, mm-hmm. and we have nefarious human nut jobs like this Apparently. Uh, guy uh, causing large areas to burn. And none of this is going to stop until winter comes. And many people are concerned about disasters that threaten their way of life. And wildfires, honestly, in a lot of places, should be high on the list. You've got a lot of trees on your property, then you definitely need to be concerned about it. But how can you protect your property and yourself from being devastated by fire? Well, there are two main principles, and they are vegetation management and defensible spaces. An important factor in wildfire preparedness is what we call vegetation management. With vegetation management, the key is to direct fires away from your house. And there are several ways to accomplish this by managing your vegetation <laughs> right. and, and all of this requires vigilance and regular maintenance this is not a one-time deal you'll want to clean up dead wood and leaf piles that lie within let's say 30 feet or 40 feet of your building structure you have to pay special attention to clear off, clearing off the roof and especially the gutters when's the last time that you've taken a good look at your gutters i'll bet there's all sorts of dry leaves and things like that that are clogging those up and the truth is, is that if they set on fire, well, you're going to have a ring of, you'll have your own ring of fire. You've heard oh, of the goodness. Pacific Ring of Fire? Oh, you yes. You have your own ring of fire around your home <sighs> because all your gutters are going to set off. Oh, oh, you might have spent time and money putting all this lush landscaping around your home. That's something that's awesome. You must have a beautiful home then. But you know what? You have to choose between attractive, flammable plants 
and fire protection. Which is it going to be? If you're in an area where there's a lot of fires, well, I don't think you should have a lot of plants right around your home, right touching, especially touching your home. You want to thin out thick canopy trees that are near your house. Make sure that no two canopies touch each other. Make sure that there's no tree that ever overhangs your roof. And if there are a lot of shrubs around the base of the trunks, well, you probably should get rid of them. I'm sure they're very decorative, but you should get rid of them. Any trees within 50 feet on flatland or 200 feet of downhill from your retreat, they need to be thinned. you got to prune branches off below, let's say, 10 to 12 feet high and separate them about by about 10 to 20 feet. That's what they say at firewise.org, a, a great site with regards to protecting your home and telling you how to protect your home. If you have a lawn and garden, well, they should be well hydrated. Make sure that they're getting enough water. Uh, you want to collect the lawn cuttings, other debris that can be used by fueled by the fire and pack them away. If water is limited, keep your dry lawns cut back as much as possible or remove them. Lawns are purely, from my standpoint, useless pro <laughs> things to have on your property. I maybe would much they're, maybe have they're food. pretty. <laughs> yes, you start a vegetable garden. Maybe that go. might be a be something better. Uh, from a wildfire perspective, then you want to have a defensible space, and a defensible space is an area around the structure where wood and vegetation are treated. If you have a defensible space, it's going to give room to work for those people that are fighting a fire too. So that's something that's also important. Now, the amount of defensible space you need depends on whether you're on flatland or a steep slope. Remember I said, I think 50 uh, feet on flatland, 200 feet. If downhill, you want to prune those trees. Well, there's a difference. Flatland fires spread more slowly than a fire on a slope. Well, hot air, flames, they rise, right? Hot air rises. That's a something that everybody knows, and so it makes sense. A fire on a steep slope, especially with wind blowing uphill, spreads so fast and produces these spot fires, and spot fires are these little small fires that ignite vegetation ahead of the main burn because there's all this burning debris in the air. The wind is taking it and making it go downfield or up uphill in some cases or downfield that causes fires that ignite in front of the main blaze wood piles other flammables they need to be located 20 to 30 feet away from structures gardening tools keep them in sheds those sheds should always be a dis good distance from the home concrete walkways perimeter walls these are not bad they're decorative and they may serve to impede the progress of a fire might not be a bad idea to consider that as one of your projects in the coming year. Of course, if you have an attic, the other vents, these should be covered with screen mesh to prevent small embers from entering the structure. And there are a lot of different ways to do that. And make sure you check out firewise.org. They have a, a number of choices in terms of that. Of course, once you've created a defensible space, what's your inclination? Is to do what Joe Rodriguez and some of the other folks uh, in California are doing is you want to defend your space. Well, unfortunately, you have to remember that you're going to be in the middle of a lot of heat and smoke. Heat and smoke is not good for oxygenating your body. So therefore, unless you are an Olympic athlete of some sort, it stands to reason that most people are not going to be up to the task to really defend their property. 
And so the safest recommendation would be to follow evacuation orders, get out of Dodge if there is a safe way to leave. I know it's a personal decision, but you got to realize that your family's lives may depend on it. If you're leaving, have a bag packed with food, water, extra clothes, batteries, flashlights, and other stuff. Don't forget to bring your cell phone, any important papers you might need, and some cash. I will say that the people that were staying behind in their homes and trying to fight the fire or, or protect their homes from the fire... May not have been. Actually, oh. actu- no, no. They actually sent both of them that I met, the two that I mentioned, actually uh-huh. had sent their families away. Good. So they evacuated their families, and they were just sort of the staying there, as long holding as they down had, the fort. As long as they had transportation and they knew that their path out was safe... I mean that's all you can do. I don't. I don't agree with it. I wouldn't let you stay behind. If I'm something... staying behind. No, no I'm not. No. <laughs> of course not. I just told I, people to get out of Dodge. I promise that if you decided that, that I would um, give you some vitamins. That, that oh, well, might, I could use that. That might not be vitamins. Oh. And I will drag you in the car. Drag me in your and delir- drug me. In your delirium. I will oh drag God. you to the car. You, you wouldn't, would I you? will put you in the car and tell you that we're saving the house and we're going to drive somewhere so we could save the house. And I will make sure you go to a safe place. There is no way I would let you stay behind. Well. And if you stay behind, I'm staying behind. And I know you wouldn't let me, so. No, you, I would definitely. We're leaving. Wouldn't. All right. Well, anyhow, the bottom line is people's lives may depend on it, and so you have to, but if you leave, make sure you have a good go bag. We've talked about what you should have in your go bag in the past, but definitely food, water, extra clothes, batteries, flashlights, and by the way, you should have some good walking shoes, too, in case for some reason your car breaks down or the road is blocked. Yes. Now, as an added precaution, make sure you shut off your air conditioning system, anything that draws air into the house from outside before you go. Turn off all of your appliances, close all of your windows, lock all of your doors. Mm-hmm. Got to do a bunch of this stuff. And like any other emergency, of course, have some type of communication system established with your loved ones in case you're not together. So there may be some warning that a fire is getting close. Right. Uh, it's not like an earthquake where it's <clears throat> totally unpredictable, but it can happen at a moment's notice. But still, the chances are that your entire family may not be together, so you should have some way of figuring out where you're going to meet or where, how you're going to get together if something does happen. Now, your medical kit, things that are especially important in your medical kit to have are include masks, some kind of eye protection, hand protection, some burn ointment, uh, things like aloe vera, that's a great natural alternative, uh, burn gel, things like that. Non-stick dressings for burns, because remember, they, they stick, the, the regular gauze dressings will stick to your skin, will be uncomfortable to t- take off on a burn especially. There are specialized burn dressings that are available that incorporate both aloe and nonstick dressings, or you can make your own by getting taking gauze and um, just putting some uh, petroleum jelly on it and just sort of impregnating it with that. And that may be a good burn dressing. Gauze rolls, medical tape can be used for additional coverage. You can round out your kit with some scissors, cold packs, some eye wash, because remember, smoke is a major irritant to the eyes. You should always, oh, by the way, I I didn't mention this, but Cellox, which is a great way to stop bleeding, if you wet Cellox gauze, it actually becomes sort of a gel, a slimy gel that actually makes a really good dressing for 
second and third degree burns. So it's something that is pretty versatile, so you might consider getting some Celox as part of your medical kit. Now, if your routes of escape are blocked, you decided to leave, but unfortunately the decision was made too late, make sure you're dressed in long pants, sleeves, heavy boots. Now, some people uh, might consider a wool blanket. That's very helpful, by the way, as an additional outside layer because wool is relatively fire resistant. But the problem is that a wet blanket, a wet wool blanket actually transfers heat very quickly. So wet materials transfer heat, you have to remember, much faster than dry materials uh, if they're on your skin and will cause more severe burns. If you're inside a building, you can't get out, stay on the side farthest from the fire with the least number of windows because windows transfer heat to the inside and stay there unless you have to leave due to smoke or the building catching fire. Now, if you're having, if you really have to do that, wrap yourself in your blanket, leave only your eyes uncovered and crawl out of the building, stay low. And why is that? Because there's less smoke and heat the lower you go. You keep your face down towards the floor and that will help protect your airway. Something very important, you can recover from burns on your skin, but you can't recover from major burns on your lungs. That's right. That's right. Hey, you know, I am uh, writing a book on antibiotics. It's been a project yes, that I've wanted are. to do for just... quite a while. I'm finally getting to work on this. How do you have time to do all of this? I don't know how I can do this and have <laughs> we do our other podcasts. Write articles American for magazines. Survival Radio, write articles for magazines. <laughs> i got three articles that I... I just hey, wrote. They're literally hanging over your right. head. I just wrote. Yeah, I know the work orders the ta- are there. Taped above your right? head right now. Uh, I re- just wrote an article for Self Reliance magazine that mm-hmm. you'll see. And uh, those are great people, Dave Duffy and his kids uh, involved with, with that project. And the good people at Survivor's Edge and American Survival Guide. Uh, I am honored to be able to contribute articles to these uh, wonderful publications. But I'm writing a book in the middle of all that on antibiotics, <laughs> and that's what I, I get asked about a lot. So, you know, I decided that it made a lot of sense to consider that. Now, have you decided on the name of it yet? No, I have not, actually. I have to figure that out. I, hmm. Alton's advice on antibiotics. Oh, no, I'm kidding. That's actually kind of cute. No. I don't want a cute title. Okay, sorry. I want a serious title. It's a serious <laughs> I like, topic. Okay, when I say cute, I don't mean like cute, like a little puppy cute. I mean, wow, that's yeah, really... Yeah, that's exactly what no, you, you mean. you know what I meant? <laughs> yes. Wow, that's really intelligent. <laughs> oh, is that what that... Is that what cute means? Okay, I didn't when know I that. When I stand towards you, that's what it means. Wow, <laughs> okay. that's really smart. All right. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about... Mm-hmm about antibiotics and this is a little I go into this a little bit in my introduction to this book in War of the Worlds that I, if you have never heard of War of the Worlds it was the the latest iteration of that was the Tom Cruise movie from I think 10 years ago or so and it was a pretty good movie I thought uh, there was a, a pretty good movie a scary movie from uh, that I saw in my childhood called War of the Worlds also and that was in done in the early 50s I wasn't even born when it was done uh, the and and even before then it was a radio broadcast in 1938 that freaked people out so so much out in the um, New York metropolitan area that uh, there were called people were getting in their cars and hitting the road because <laughs> they thought the Martians had had hit 
uh, had uh, invaded. And, but the funny thing is that this was actually a novel from around the year 1900 by H.G. Wells. So there are all sorts of different ways that you could you can experience the War of the Worlds. If you haven't read the, the book or seen the movies, I, I would definitely suggest doing it. So anyhow, Mars attacks Earth, and as the Martians lay waste to the entire planet, no weapon that man has can stop the destruction of civilization. But what happens is a bacterial infection takes root in the Martian force, and that ends their invasion. Well, because the aliens, it turns out, had no natural resistance to Earth's tiniest inhabitants, and they were annihilated in short order. Oh, you know, I just told people the end of the book. <laughs> oh, oh no, <laughs> that's I, terrible. I can't imagine anybody doesn't know the end that of that book. That is terrible. Oh well, okay, I give up. Anyhow, <laughs> well, let's leave Wait, the realm of question. science fiction. Did you say spoiler alert? That I did not. Okay, <laughs> I'll say post spoiler post- alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right, so, well, let's leave the realm of science fiction. I obviously have messed that up terribly. <laughs> but there are a lot of instances where even the strongest creatures on Earth fall victim to bacteria. I recently read about the death of uh, a killer whale named Tillicum at SeaWorld Marine Park in Orlando. Uh, his life was portrayed in the movie Blackfish, which actually changed everything with regards to how we look at large marine mammals. I mean, like a lot of large marine mammals, you know, forced to live a cramped existence in a tiny little, for them, I guess, pool. Well, Tilikum was subject to physical, mental stress and all that stuff. And last year, the 22-foot-long, 12,000-pound whale died as a result of, guess what, a bacterial lung infection. Little tiny microbes just like what killed the Martians in War of the Worlds. Infection honestly can take the life of the healthiest humans over the ages. They've done so to millions and millions of people. Even in modern times, large number of people are killed by them every year in less developed countries. Not the developed nations are immune. Cases of exotic infections resistant to treatment can be found in even the most modern medical facilities. As a matter of fact, hospital-based infections are actually some of the toughest to get rid of. But what is infection? Infection is the invasion of a living being by a pathogen. A pathogen is an organism that can cause disease. These guys are usually too small to be seen with the naked eye. They're usually one-celled organisms. They multiply like crazy and they cause effects on their hosts, which are detrimental to their health. And of course, the end result of untreated can be life-threatening. Pathogens include various types of bacteria, viruses, protozoa, fungi. Uh, The number of species that can produce ill effects in humans are numerous, numerous. But the truth is that not all microorganisms cause disease. Indeed, most of them are perfect. Most of them are perfectly harmless. And uh, some are even beneficial. Certain gut bacteria, for example, are necessary for you to properly digest your food. Yet some are downright deadly like the Ebola virus or the bacteria that causes pneumonic plague or bubonic plague, these pathogens may arrive in a community unexpectedly in in sudden outbreaks or, like malaria in tropical nations, are a constant threat throughout the year. They're there all the time because the mosquitoes are there all the time that pass it, that transmit it. Uh, As well, new diseases are constantly emerging to threaten society. We've had a number of them in the the last 20 years, uh, SARS, we've had 
bird flu, we've had swine flu, we've had all sorts of different kinds of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, all sorts of different ones. And they are constantly emerging. They threaten society, whether they're new to a particular area or new to science altogether. Now, a number of infectious diseases consistently rank in the top 10 of global deaths every year. That includes uh, certain respiratory uh, illnesses like influenza, intestinal illnesses like dysentery. Uh, therefore, uh, the truth is, is that the development of antibiotics to kill pathogens responsible for some of these infections that cause global deaths may be the most important advance in medicine over the last century. These drugs have turned millions of what were once inevitable deaths to avoidable ones. Yet, like most medical marvels, there is another side of the coin. There's overuse of antibiotics, especially especially in food-producing livestock. You may be surprised to know that 80% of our antibiotics that are used in the United States are not going to humans at all. They're going to livestock, like chickens and cows and things like that. Chickens and cows. That's right. And <clears throat> and what this overuse has done, or this this constant use of antibiotics in, in livestock and, and of overuse in humans, too, has caused a lot of bacteria to become resistant to the drugs that we normally use to kill infection. Some pathogens, like tuberculosis, have mutated to become impervious to all known medications. There are indeed are types of tuberculosis that are called multi, multiple drug-resistant tuberculosis, MDR tuberculosis, and no matter what they use on it, it's not helpful. It may make it better, a little bit better, but it does not cure the disease. And we have constant efforts on the part of research and development to, de to develop new antibiotics, but the increase in numbers of resistant bacteria is outpacing the research. Therefore, it is so important to use antibiotics wisely, and I've written a lot of articles and talked a lot about how to do that, and we'll be talking about that in the future. We, but you have to obtain the knowledge to use antibiotics in a safe manner. I mean, that is, of course, the domain of medical professionals in normal times, but under what circumstances would it be appropriate to use antibiotics if you're not a physician? Well, in normal times, hardly ever, you got people that know more about it, just like, you know, in normal times, it probably is not a good idea to be your own lawyer. Right. Or it, or not and probably not the best idea to build your own house. Although some people, I do. My dad can I, do I, it. I know. I know people <laughs> like your dad that probably could do it. My dad, my brother, my brother right. did it. <laughs> but you have to remember what we write about. We write about most, uh, mostly medical preparedness for disasters, for major disasters or remote homesteads or medical missions in underdeveloped countries, so situations where the ambulance is just not around the corner. And so you have earthquakes in Haiti a few years ago. You have Hurricane Katrina. Uh, a lot of situations where it's difficult just due to the sheer numbers of sick people or injured people to get the medical care they needed. If that's the case and the, and the medical personnel are overwhelmed and ambulance is heading in the other direction, rescue helicopter is not on the horizon, well, guess what? then you may be the person that has to know what to do. And knowing what to do means maybe a little bit of knowledge about antibiotics. If there's a functioning modern medical system where you are, seek it out. But 
there are circumstances where there may not be a functioning modern medical system in a backcountry expedition, ocean voyage, a lot of different situations may occur where routine medical services, modern emergency services may just not be an option. In these cases, well, you, the average citizen, become the highest medical asset left, at least for the time being. Now, in short-term events, medical help is on the way, and the likelihood of a bad outcome is small. In longer-term events, however, the risk associated with an infection, for example, that you ignore for weeks, that's pretty significant. Therefore, and, and truthfully, it could mean the difference between life and death. So therefore, knowledge and training is important for those people that are going to be thrust into that role, the role of healthcare providers in the aftermath of a catastrophe. And if it's going to be you, well, you need to know what's going on. Even healers in the olden times, well, they based their actions on observations regarding, let's say, a certain herb's effect on an illness. And this led to an entire discipline called herbalism, which back then was, believe it or not, the standard of conventional medical practice. Yes, that's right. Medical doctors back then were essentially herbalists, and they knew what to do to take plants in the area, get that mortar and pestle out, and put together something that had a medicinal benefit. Obtaining antibiotics for disaster medical storage, that I think is really important. If the family medic is armed with a method to fight infection, well, the chance for success increases, even if everything else fails. A non-medical person having antibiotics on hand in disaster settings, that's really controversial. I mean, gosh, the conventional medical wisdom lashes me, gives me good 40 lashes, and for good reason, I understand you know, it's not something that you should use in normal times. But if a family member is dying of an infection, there's no ambulance coming to render aid, no hospital there to treat the victim, well, the average citizen becomes the end of the line with regards to the well-being of their people. And so, therefore, the average citizen learning about infection and the medicines that treat it, that's pretty much a prerequisite, I think, for the effective medic in any austere scenario. There was, I remember seeing um, a special on the History Channel, and it was called After Armageddon. And in this special, uh, a paramedic takes his family on the road after some kind of apocalyptic event. I forget what the actual event was that caused that. But, uh, but they had to leave home, and they were in a situation where the, apparently the whole nation was off the grid. So during their travels, they finally meet a community that could use somebody with some medical training, and they join it and start a new life. Now, of course, all hands are needed to do more than just, you don't just sit there waiting for people that are sick. You know, you got to till the soil and you got to grow food. You got to perform other activities of daily survival. And our hero, sure enough, is assigned to duties to which he's not accustomed and he ends up with some minor injury. I think a cut on his hand, which became infected. He knew what an infection looked like. He saw that he was getting infected. But unfortunately, the medical supplies of the community were limited, and they didn't include antibiotics. <clears throat> so he sits there and watches his infection spread over the next few weeks. And despite all of his training, all of his knowledge, it eventually kills him. So I think that that is a big Yes. Big warning to us that you should have some medications in your medical storage that will stop 
an infection that will kill infection, kill bacteria. To be effective in your attempt to prevent avoidable deaths in any situation like this, any situation where modern medical care is not accessible, you got to learn the basics of infectious disease and the substances that treat it. That if you can absorb that information, you can absorb some strategies on how to deal with disease-causing microbes, well, your family members are going to be safer and you are going to be more effective in keeping your family members healthy during emergencies. And so that's why I am writing uh, a book on antibiotics and their use in uh, survival settings. We'll figure out what the actual title will be, but so <laughs> stay tuned. Uh, but the bottom line is... We'll figure out something really cute. Right, the motto is going to... The motto is the words of President Theodore Roosevelt. Right. And that is, do what you can with what you have where you are. That is the survival medic's motto, and that's what you've got to do. Uh, I just... So, anyhow, so I'm just talking about the importance of antibiotics. So, with the time I have left, let me, let me take an example and tell you what... Uh, an an a particular antibiotic is used for and see what makes uh, sense for you. Let's talk, um, let's see, what can I talk about in a few minutes? Well, let's talk a little bit about <coughs> Keflex. Keflex. Keflex is a pretty popular antibiotic. Its uh, actual name, generic name, is Cephalexin, so you may have been given Cephalexin. Uh, it has a veter veterinary equivalent called Fishflex or, and Fishflex Forte. Anytime you see the word Forte after a veterinary antibiotic, it usually means that it's the stronger version of it. Uh, cephalexin or keflex is an antibiotic in the cephalosporin family. It's different from penicillin, but it's cross-reactive with it. And what I mean by that is that there are, if, if you're allergic to penicillin, there is about a 10% chance that you're going to be allergic to cephalosporins as well. That, but that's not a very high chance, but it's still 10% is higher than a lot of the other antibiotic families. Cephalexin works by interfering with the <clears throat> formation of a bacteria's cell wall. If a bacteria doesn't have a cell wall, it's basically exploded, right? And this, so the defective wall ruptures and that kills the bacteria. So it is a bactericidal uh, type of drug. Uh, the, this antibiotic is useful in the treatment of a lot of different things. It can treat certain bladder infections. Uh, that's called cystitis in medical speak. Uh, ear infections, also known as otitis media. A lot of kids get that. Pharyngitis or sore throats. Uh, soft tissue infections uh, like cellulitis. See, something if our paramedic father in uh, After Armageddon, the uh, History Channel's <coughs> special, had some Keflex on hand, he might not have died. Uh, infections of bone and marrow called osteomyelitis, prostate, prostate infections, kidney infections, uh, even a lot of upper respiratory infections, although most of them are caused by, actually most of them are caused by, infect, by viruses, but any upper respiratory infection caused by bacteria might not be a bad idea to use Keflex on it. Uh, there, there are some that, uh, there are other medicines that are better, though. Uh, Cephalexin is also used as a preventative before surgical procedures in people that are at risk for, let's say, heart valve infections. Also, one of the few antibiotics that thought that's thought to be safe to use during pregnancy. Um, to use Keflex or Cephalexin, usually would give 250 milligrams. Uh, that's Fishflex or 500 milligrams Fishflex Forte every six hours for about seven to 14 days. Severe bacterial infections may require 
more time than that, but you know, at the very least, it's a good seven days is probably probably makes the most sense. For uh, there are infections that are really dangerous, like osteomyelitis, that can be treated with Keflex, and uh, they would require probably a month or six weeks of therapy to have a good shot at getting rid of the illness. Uh, pediatric doses are calculated usually per kilogram of body weight. So I weigh about 176 pounds, and so that equals about, if you... Of solid muscle. Right. Two po- <laughs> multiply that by 2 point, or, or divide rather divide it. that That's by right. 2.2, and you have about 80 kilograms. I'd rather, had, I'd rather state my weight by kilograms from now on. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? <laughs> let's, just, let's just switch over, babe. <laughs> so a pediatric dose is 12.5 to 25 milligrams per kilogram of body weight orally every 6 to 12 hours. Of course, you never want to exceed adult dosages. Well, let's see. I think that's all the time that we have for this week. you have anything else yeah. to say, buddy? Oh, I had some cool stuff about uh, stuff about Epsom salts. All right. Well, we're going to have to talk about that next time. I'm okay. sure it's going to take more than a couple of minutes to tell people all about that. But we will make sure that we talk about that next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. We will be back next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.